there are things that you know we knew we didn't know going into the development of, of our first location in Roswell. Um, and we had to learn along the way. Now, the good news is we had a, a tremendous foundation for it, right? I mean, I would say 80% of it we nailed. And then there was 20% of like, we never actually laid down pickleball courts before. So there were some learnings there, right? That we're now adjusting and you know creating efficiencies and cost savings, right? For franchisees onto number two. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's the Wolf. Today in the show, we have Joe Sexton, the co-founder of a new franchise called Ace Pickleball Club. Longtime Wolf followers will know that this is a franchise I actually invested in. And we announced that back in January of this year. Joe and I used to work together. He is actually the first boss I ever had in franchising. Uh, he's a pretty humble guy. You wouldn't know it from how casual he is and down to earth he is. But he knows more about franchising than almost anyone I've ever met. So some could say he is the true wolf. However, for this podcast, we hit record from the get-go. And so you guys just get to be a fly on the wall. Listen to us kind of shoot the shit for a little bit in the beginning. And then we get into what Ace has been up to. They've had incredible growth so far. And you also get to learn about the pickleball industry and hear why we think pickleball is here to stay. Overall, if you're a franchisee, an emerging franchisor, or a pickleball fanatic, you're going to absolutely love this episode. Hope you enjoy. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. Well, how's it going, man? I saw your Instagram post yesterday with Ace. You guys just sold NJ. Yeah, New Jersey, man. We already had one coming to the east side of Philly in Voorhees, and then we've got three new ones that just came on board. So looking at Monmouth County and then really up in Union and, and Bergen as well. Really basically everything from Bergen down to Monmouth. Nice. And that's one franchisee? Yeah. Yeah. Separate franchisee that owns Voorhees. That guy... Uh, Eric Danberg, he was a big Papa John's guy, and then he sold out there. He's now, I think he has 60 or 70 hand-in-stone massages. And Damn. He's developing that one in Voorhees because it's in his backyard, and then he's doing another 12 down in Orlando. But yeah, this new group, they're a great group, and yeah, going to develop three on their own. Is the the new group a multi-unit franchisee too? No. One of the partners, Scott, has owned many businesses in his career. I couldn't even list them out for you. And yeah. then James is really going to be more of the operator, but he's, wouldn't say corporate refugee, he's, he's staying in the game there, but big pickleball enthusiast. So it's a good marriage of an entrepreneur and somebody who lives and breathes pickleball every day. So it's a good, good group. Dan, though, that 70 hand in stones, that's like, that's serious stuff right there. How long has he been in that system? Not that long, to be honest. I think since maybe like, 17, 18. I mean, he goes really fast. I think he's building another 20 or 30 right now too. Holy crap. That's a good win for you guys though. What's the vibe been like on these calls? Are most of the people you're talking to, like, are they just major pickleball fanatics or is it, and even like that person, obviously he's a big franchisee, but 
is he also a pickleball fanatic or does he, yeah. is he just yeah. looking at it from a capitalistic perspective? No. Well, I mean, both. I think everyone is looking, everyone wants to make money, right? But no, if, I mean, if the passion's not there, I'll say it's very difficult for us to bring them on board, right? And be like confident in that, but also for them to have the confidence in the industry. But it's funny, you see, like, you'll have a conversation with somebody where they've never played and they're really skeptical. And we'll tell them like, hey, like, just get out and play a little bit. We don't hear from them for a while. They'll come back in three months and be like, Oh my God, I played my first time, you know, six weeks ago. Now I'm playing three times a week. I've got my Wednesday night leagues that I play in. And like, it happens really, really fast where they go from like skeptics to all in. Right. And that's sort of the the power of the sport. Yeah. It's definitely happened with me. Like I'm just like, I played in a league on Saturday. Like I drove 30 minutes with my brother to play. To get, and, your, uh, to get your asses whooped by senior citizens. I will say... <laughs> I will say for folks listening, I mean, yeah, I was pretty cocky. My brother had played before. This is my first time playing like actual doubles. And yeah, we were on some app. Are you guys on it? It's called Court Reserve. Like it's national. Anyway, all right, yeah. Well, maybe. No, that's like a back-end software system. We have our, our own. Uh, yeah. So, uh, nice. Yeah, uh, that's actually, that's good. That's what I would have hoped <laughs> your answer would have been. Because yeah, Court Reserve is painful experience but anyway it did work i did get to book at an open court and like some it's really a tennis club but they kind of like made a few pickleball courts but anyway yeah i always wanted to pick the advanced level and my brother's like no like we should do like it was like tier four out of five so we were like close to advanced but i was like hey man like i was a division one athlete what are we doing i like we're gonna whoop them anyway and he's like yeah (laughs) just trust me and i was all right i like it was getting to the point where i was gonna get in arguments i was like fine i'll just listen to you on this time and yeah, I won the first game with my partner who I found out after the fact was like very, very good. And I thought it was because of me that we won, but I didn't win a single <laughs> game the rest of the time. Two hours, I won one game. <laughs> so every game I lost, I had to sit out and I was furious. Yeah, it was crazy. You get humbled really quickly with pickleball, especially in doubles. <laughs> yeah. I will say with with singles, it's a little bit different. Like with singles, pure athleticism can win out. Right. Like if you take somebody that's been playing for a couple of years, but you're 20 years younger, 30 years younger, more nimble, faster, quicker, you know, all those things, then you can go and compete on a singles level, but you are going to get your ass handed to you in doubles. Right. That that is what's going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, this isn't disrespectful to the people. It's just like, you know, most of them a lot older, like 50s, 60s not in good shape, like visibly, just you can tell, you know, a bit overweight, uh, but they were destroying me. And, you know, I got to the point where I think my the partners I were playing with were like, they were trying to avoid getting stuck with me on the pairings because I was like, this right. guy has no idea what he's doing. And luckily, <laughs> like the third to last game, I got paired with this guy, John, who's like super cool dude, 63. And he puts his armor on me. He's like, kid, I get it. You can move faster than us, but he's like, you do not know where you need to be in the court. So mid-game, he's coaching me on every play. He's like, hey, this is what you do in that scenario. And I feel like I elevated my game. And, you know, we lost that game, of course, too, because of me. But uh, (laughs) after that, I got a lot better because, like, just knowing where to be is so key. But anyway, just shows how fun this sport is because it's so much more strategic than I ever would have guessed on the double side. Yeah. And look, that it makes it really aspirational too, right? Like we, I talked about it, it being humbling, but that also makes you like, if you ever had an athletic career at any time, right? 
it makes you want to get back out there and and get better. And now you're going to be open to taking advice from John, right? Because you just got humbled and now you are going to get better. And the next time you go out, whatever tips he gave you, if you put those into practice, you're going to feel yourself getting better. And then, you know what I mean? It's self-perpetuating. I am so fired up for the next time I can play. Actually, now that I somewhat know what I'm doing, I think. So yeah, there's definitely a, a learning curve for so folks out there. Athleticism will not win in doubles, at least <laughs> not in the early not, days. Not, no. Yeah, exactly. Well, back to the franchise though. So wait, you got a Philly. You just said three in Jersey, but how many total units have you sold or awarded? Sorry. Yeah, as of today, we're at 56 just in the pipe. I mean, we'll in a couple of weeks, we'll push over 70. But yeah, right now today, we're at 56. And I think it's across 14 states. Cool. And, and uh, roughly, or if you have exact, that would be cool too. How many franchisees make up that 56 units? I think it's 16. Oh. So we've got a good mix. Of, it's a good balance. Yeah, we've got a good mix. And, and look, what we do is atypical in franchising, right? We're not trying to sell the world to a group just to say that we sold the world, right? Like if I came to you and, I, and you were interested in New Jersey and you're like, well, I want to do 25 of them, but I only want to pay for two because there's too much risk. And be like, well, then you, you can have two, right? So for us, we don't discount multi-units. The reason we do it that way is we want everyone to think long and hard about their commitment, right? And we only want people getting into a development agreement that will actually be fulfilled, right? From a capital standpoint, from an operational capacity standpoint. So, you know, all that to say, we have a good mix of some single units, some two unit deals, some three units, we've got a five, we've got a 12, right? So we've got the bigger players that have come in and we have a lot of confidence that they're going to go out there and actually fulfill their development agreement. And then if you're a little bit newer, maybe you've owned a franchise, but you haven't gone up to that scale, we say, look, let's do two or three because we're going to charge you a fee for each one anyways. You don't want that risk. We don't want the risk of you, you know, of these territories sitting out there undeveloped for years and years. And so it, it creates an alignment, right, between us and the franchisees. It's a good mix, meaning it always worries me when I see emerging franchises and, you know, they got 100 units sold, but, you know, they've got a couple franchisees, but like a 25 unit development territory. Like even for your, you know, 70 location hand in stone franchisee who bought in even 25 units, I'm like, that would still take a person of that caliber. And I'm going to guess he's got a ton of capital to deploy if he wanted to, that it would still take them. I'm going to say minimum five years, but like probably longer if we're being honest. Yeah. And look, it's hard for us because we have the groups, you know, private equity backed groups that have the appetite to develop a whole state, right? Something like that. But it's like, how fast can you go, right? In Texas across DFW, Houston, Austin, San Antonio, like all of the, you know, sort of the mid and smaller markets versus us saying we've got, 20 franchisees, each with two, three, five, 10 units, all attacking this at the same time, we can go that much faster. And no doubt about it, right? In this industry, it is a bit of a land race, yeah. right? There's, we can't take 10 years to develop Houston, right? Houston needs to be developed in the next five, six, seven years, right? 10 years is too long. So yeah, so th that's the strategy, but we've been successful and we've lost some deals that way where, you know, people have offered us really big you know, deals and, and some decent checks because it's just not a smart move right now. 
the priority is just like you don't want your franchisees to bite off more than they can chew, right? You just want at least at a minimum start at a smaller scale as far as the development agreement and how many units they're signed on for so that they can actually get them open. Yeah, you you and I both know that it's really sexy to announce that you've signed, you know, X number of units. And, you know, we've seen it with other concepts that we both worked yeah. on, right? Where you're trying to get these big, big deals done. You end up only collecting 10% of the fees, right? On a 30 unit deal, you're taking three of the fees in and deferring everything else to the back end. That strategy just, at least maybe for some concepts, that works just fine. But, you know, for us, we're just not willing to do it because what we see happening is long, long development timelines. And you and I also both know most development deals don't get fulfilled, yeah. right? To full capacity anyway. So now you're just giving away land to competition. So, yeah, I mean, for us, we're playing the long game here. We could be announcing we sold hundreds of units at this point, right? We've had those deals on yeah. the table, but you know, we would be in a, a worse position than we are today at, at 56. We feel really good about our position. And it's not about, and I think everyone knows this that would be listening to this, and I know you know it, but it's not about selling franchises, it's about getting them open, yep. right? That's the name of the game for both franchisees and for franchisors it's, it's that's all that matters a hundred percent and it's actually good timing because uh not this past monday the monday before like using some of the data we have on crockett with the, which was a sample size by 2300 franchises so you know pretty decent like really surprising that the typical franchise only gets four locations open per year so there's tons of brands and you have like the big winners, right? Like the rocket ship brands, whether it's like an Orange Theory or Crumble Cookies, you know, has opened 900 in five or six years. So you kind of have, so I forget what the average was. It was at least double or triple higher than that four per year. But like you have those big winners, those outliers that drag that average up. So like the four per year was the median, which I thought honestly just helpful for people to understand. Yeah. Well, look at, at, I was just going to say, yeah, I, the, you know, at Mathnasium, when I was there leading development, it was, you know, we were opening over a hundred every year. Like put that in perspective. That's two every week. Insane. Every single week, there's two new locations. I mean, it's crazy. And then at SkyZone with big box development, right? You know, Mathnasiums are going into a thousand square feet. That real estate process is not that challenging with SkyZone. You know, we did 50 to 60 a year for three straight years, right? Which is really fast, right? So yeah, it's hard. Right. It's, <laughs> it's hard to get them open. Selling them is not that complex, right? It's getting them open. Yeah. I think it really, again, just doing that, like that kind of deep dive on the research side, it really opened my eyes to like those, like the mathnasiums, the sky zones, which, you know, you were, of course, were a big part of both. That's a major achievement for a franchise or if they're getting to that point where they're opening one or two a week. I mean, because it's just operationally all the different departments and team members that have to kind of combined to get that outcome it's like and just now that i know that like your average franchise isn't coming anywhere close to that really impressive those brands that are actually churning out unit openings and those franchisees right are getting supported they're earning good revenue good profitability at the end of the day it's a pretty amazing system when it works like that and i just want to go back you said too like on the development deals and maybe just to be a bit more precise for emerging franchisors listening to this that like the reason you turn down those some of these bigger deals, right, is because sure you could sell like a thirty pack or a forty. You know, you had said private equity, so I'm sure you had some big offers on the table. But like 
the thing emerging franchisors would want to know, right? Is like, that's great for a press release and it's cool, but like you're trying to get locations open and you mentioned it's a land grab in the pickleball industry. So like, I want to kind of cue in on that a bit more later, but the key is, right, is that if you sell that big deal, now that territory is locked up and you might get a, an inbound prospect next week or next month that is like, hey, I'm in Houston. I can build three locations in Houston right now. But if you sold that you know, big deal, you might have to tell that person, hey, sorry, that territory is locked up. And it's just a person who's got to build 50 locations, but they're not going to get to Houston for theoretically a year or two or three years, right? Yeah, or ever, right? Because <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of risk for franchisors in awarding those big territories. And it's all, all the things you just mentioned, but we made this mistake in the early days of SkyZone, right? And really before I got there, but awarding you know 15 unit territories to somebody that's never done it before on a fee payment schedule where they're not really committed to it, right? They don't really have skin in the game beyond the first couple of those. And what ends up happening is if they don't fulfill that schedule, it allows competition to come in and saturate that market while you're trying to deal with that franchisee. You're trying to motivate them. You try and say, hey, you need to get on your horse and you know get another location open. And they're taking their sweet time with it for whatever reason. Like we, you know, in Houston with SkyZone, we had two locations open fairly early and could have gone and developed probably another 30, 40, 50 locations in Houston. That's where Houston ended for SkyZone because of that. But and all the competition came in and dominated that market. And then all of a sudden, you have to try to convince a new franchisee to come into an oversaturated market if you want to go out and try to play in the, in the Houston market. Whereas back in the days when the white space was available, if you would have had multiple people attacking, and then you could have said, okay, out of these five franchisees that are attacking Houston, you know, Patrick and John are showing the most promise and we want to invest in them and get them motivated to go out and develop the rest of the market. Now you've mitigated your risk that way and you're able to see which horses are winning the race and then invest in them and, and get them going. So, sorry, that was a long, <laughs> long-winded answer, but there, there's a lot of risk in awarding those big deals, particularly if there's not skin in the game on each of those units. I think it's easy, especially for maybe an emerging brand that isn't well capitalized, which, you know, I, I like the fact that you guys raised capital from day one so that you could facilitate and support the growth. But yeah, I think it's easy for emerging franchises just to jump out the potential of a big check without necessarily realizing that there could be some pretty serious downstream effects. You mentioned them, man. So like, I know like right a lot of the ace founding team you guys met each other all at sky zone so like i know you can't really talk too much about it uh in the sense of uh just so listeners know uh sky zone you know was acquired for uh, over nine figures so you know very fantastic outcome for a franchise but yeah what's it kind of been like i guess starting from day zero with ace with some of your old kind of colleagues at sky zone you know i guess just to provide more context on that question day zero right at ace versus I don't know, you know, I know you and Jay and Jay's the CEO for folks listening, but um, yeah, just you guys probably all came in at various points at SkyZone, but now it's like, all right, we have to really build this thing from scratch versus again, SkyZone was a, probably a little bit more developed when you all came together. Yeah. And just to point out the, you know, the exit with SkyZone, I, I don't know what that value was. So I don't know where you got that number. Maybe, maybe you uh, dug it up somewhere. There but, is press uh, out there. Yes. But. Noted. Yes, I assume 
I assume that's where it came from. But so anyways, first of all, it's been super fun. You know, we've basically been able to cherry pick who we think are the most talented, you know, people, not just from SkyZone, but like really in, in the industry, like building, you know, hundreds of trampoline parks is no easy feat. Not that it's it's easy to build 900 crumbles in five years either. I mean, that's an insane, you know, that's an amazing feat as well. But, you know, we think these are the best people in the industry. And, you know, what's what's really cool about it, honestly, is like we have a bunch of individuals that are experts. We've got 16 full time now um, and we've got a lot of experts in their position, but we're not all trying to figure out how to work together. We're not there's not like egos of like, I've got to prove that I'm the best at this. Like we all know we're the best at this. So we know how to challenge each other right? We know how to push each other. We collaborate really well together. I know when to lean on Brianne and Brianne Carter for the ops side of things. I know when I need to, you know, to lean on Diego for site selection and real estate because because we just have experts there. And so overall, it's just, it's really fun. It's a super cohesive team. You know, we're starting to have to go outside of our network a little bit for hires. We just brought on an amazing, you know, social media and marketing manager, Sydney Walker, you know, who's local in the Atlanta area, you know, worked with Turner Sports and sports marketing. Like she's incredible. But so we're starting to add more team members that are not, you know, sky zone. But as far as at the leadership level, basically our whole team, you know, work together, not just in the heyday of SkyZone, but like getting us to the heyday of SkyZone because SkyZone outsourced a lot of their development to third parties in the early days. And so, you know, by the time I came in, right, which was like 2014 or 15, there was, I think, 100 units sold and maybe like half of them were open, something like that, but they hadn't, they had almost no like internal systems and framework. And so Vincent Barrios on our team, our chief development officer was brought in to, to project manage and develop the internal systems for developing a, a trampoline park from lease signing through to opening. Jay was brought in on the white space analysis and site selection side. There were no processes there. Franchisees were basically given like, hey, go find a, a local broker in your market that, you know, that knows big box retail, if you can even find that person. And, you know, best of luck, bring us a lease when it's signed. Jay built all of the internal systems that allowed us to get 50, 60 lease sign, leases signed in a year and go out and develop those. So we were all part of building the systems while that train was already moving. And that's effectively what we're doing here at Ace Pickleball Club. We had a nice head start because a lot of what we did at SkyZone applies like directly to building pickleball clubs, right? It's the same real estate play, right? So our site selection process, I'd say it's better than it was at SkyZone, but we had all the relationships at the REITs, the landlords, the commercial services teams, the local brokers. We already know who does big box and who we trust to, to deliver that in the markets. We were able to migrate all of those relationships over. We were able to develop our systems using what we knew from that. Same thing on the design side, right? Like Todd Rowland was doing the design at Skyzone. He's now our designer and we're working through the same challenges that we were at trampoline parks. It's column spacing, ceiling heights, right? Managing flow through while also maximizing revenue generating space. So anyways, I, I could go on and on and like gush about the team, but it, it, it truly is like, and, and I, I, you've met a, a, at least a couple of them, right? So, you know, like these are the highest quality of people to, to be delivering exactly what we're delivering. And I think like, I mean, from my perspective, that was what was part of, uh, you know, 
a big attraction to why I, I wanted to invest. And it was a bit atypical from a lot of what I talk about, uh, meaning that like, right, I typically, you know, franchisors to have a proof of concept and to have sure, good, that, good economic- that, that old chestnut, <laughs> yeah. just a little, little bit, a little bit of proof of concept. Yeah. Um, you just kind of mentioned, right, how similar ACE is to SkyZone, the real estate builds and everything, you know, that you guys did at SkyZone translates to this concept. Like it is a lot of these same processes. Obviously the end product is a pickleball facility and not a trampoline park, but you know, you had the experience, you guys have been around the block before you knew what you were doing. And uh, it also, of course, helped that you and I worked together for close to three years. So I think that was such an edge that just, I knew you were a serious person and, you know, you were good at what you do. So if I met someone, even if they sounded impressive over a Zoom call on an investment pitch, like that would just be too much unknowns, but like that bridge was gapped just from our prior relationship. But yeah, you know, I hope people take away from it what you kind of said about the the similarities between Skyzone and Ace, right? That there are levels levels to this game, meaning it's not as easy as just buying a franchise and then like finding a, a site, right? All those things you mentioned, you guys have professionals dialed in, and that is their full time job, just doing that on behalf of franchisees. I mean, there are a lot of franchises out there where it's, hey, you know, go find a real estate, a commercial real estate agent and try to find a location, right? Where you guys are saying like, no, like we're, we're going to assist you every step of the way. Yeah. I mean, we have to, right? Like big box retail is a different animal than everything. Now you need the right broker. You need the right commercial services teams, which most people don't have. Even mature fran- like franchises don't necessarily have that at their disposal. The relationships, right? Diego's getting into closed door meetings with some of the highest profile landlords and REITs. And, you know, Diego's on a panel, I believe today or tomorrow. The other, you know, two brands sitting on the panel are Costco and maybe Walmart. I think it's Costco and Walmart. They're heads Damn. of real estate and Diego had a real estate at Ace Pickleball Club. Like, you know, that's not because everybody knows about Ace Pickleball Club yet. It's because Diego has the relationships and he is a fountain of knowledge and expertise that they want on that panel, right? So that's just an example of you know the network. But I do want to touch on something which is like, I don't want it to come across to you or anyone else that, you know, we know 100% of everything we're doing and it's all dialed in. Like, there are things that, you know, we knew we didn't know going into the development of, of our first location in Roswell. Um, and we had to learn along the way. Now, the good news is we had a, a tremendous foundation for it, right? I mean, I would say 80% of it we nailed. And then there was 20% of like, we never actually laid down pickleball courts before. So there were some learnings there, right? That we're now adjusting and, you know, creating efficiencies and cost savings, right? For franchisees onto number two. And, you know, this is, uh, you know, Jay's favorite line. If he was here, he would tell you this, but like what we built in Roswell, look, we believe and a lot of people tell us it's the best indoor pickleball facility in the country, right? That anyone's ever played in. We get very few negative comments. We do get some, right? About just noise, right? Like things that you would expect. Yeah. Some things we fixed with a glare coming in from the window from the parking lot that we ended up, <laughs> you know, tinting that window and, and things of that nature. But all that, that's not to tout, you know, what we built because- this will be the worst ace pickleball club that you ever see. <laughs> because yeah, every single one from here, like starting with Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is opening, you know, hopefully by the end of the year, and then Voorhees on, on the east side of Philly in New Jersey, those are gonna be we're innovating already. We're saying here's where we can make improvements, right? So we didn't have it all a hundred percent figured out from day one. I think we've inched a hell of a lot closer to a hundred percent, you know, through this and then the next few openings, and we should have 
minimum of five, maybe six or seven openings in Q1 next year. You know, at that point, we're, we're going to, we are going to have this 100% dialed in. Yeah. And I mean, I think like that's expected, right? Of any new franchise. I think that's also just a, uh, something for people listening to this who are considering buying a franchise is you should not expect, right? The, an emerging franchise. And we can define that as any franchise or with less than, I don't know, 30 locations for the sake of what I'm about to say, meaning like they're not going to have everything dialed in. I think a lot of people hear the word franchise and they think like, obviously that's a big point of buying one is like, I don't want to figure out things on my own. The franchise will give me the playbook, but for the emerging ones, like it's not necessarily a hundred percent dialed in, right? There is still things that they're figuring out and like, there'll be situations, right? Where maybe something you guys did in Roswell, Georgia, isn't going to work in Houston or wherever else you're opening up. So there are always learning moments. And so I think it's just good to note that, you know, that won't necessarily always be 100% dialed in for a new brand. Obviously, your guys' goal is to get there. It's still super exciting stuff from you guys. And it's kind of even what I was saying too about Crockett, right? Where I was like jacked up because I got off that call. Like, you know, that's one of our first clients that we've onboarded for Crockett. And I know our next onboarding now is going to be 500 times better because we've just learned so much from found out from these users. So it's kind of the same thing for you guys. But anyway, I want to ask you more because you mentioned like it's a land grab in the industry. You, can you kind of just give us a primer on like, what does the pickleball landscape look like? Obviously, you have your leagues and tournaments and, you know, if people don't know, just Google it. You'll see like Mark Cuban and Tom Brady and Kevin Durant and all these athletes investing in teams and leagues. But like from... Uh, the standpoint of like, where can I play pickleball? There's kind of different kinds of concepts. And I know you guys are a bit different in that it's mainly a pickleball facility, but can you kind of just explain like this version, the, like what you guys are versus the, let's call it like the entertainments of the world. Look, the landscape has changed and is changing every day, right? Since we first started working on this a few years ago, just Jay and I, right? Having calls back and forth at that time, what we saw was, a lot of money pouring into the professional organizations, a lot of money pouring into the entertainment. And what we equated that to was, okay, investors are, are putting their money into like the PGA, right? They're also putting their money into Topgolf. Who is building the infrastructure for, you're not a professional golfer, a pickleball player, right? And you also enjoy it a bit more than just wings and beers on a Friday night, Right. So that's where we saw sort of the hole and the gap in the market and with, you know, the growing demand, right? And the the average age of a player like shifting down by decades every single year with the youth movement pushing in, we're like, man, there's no infrastructure here for for your everyday player. So, you know, for us, we are pickleball, right? And that's it, right? Like we don't have, you know, food and bed. We have some prepackaged, you know, snacks and Gatorades and things of that nature, but you know, we're not serving food. We are built for somebody that that is going to play at least once a week, right? Maybe more like twice a week. Like it's a form of their health and wellness routine. It may not be the sole thing, but it's part of it, right? Just like a lot of people go to the gym and then they also do yoga once a week or Pilates twice a week or whatever it may be, right? Like, and then for other people, they take it, you know, that seriously that it, they're there every day, right? And you know, we've got members that come in and they actually just walk right past all 
of the courts that have games going on and they go to a drill zone, right? That we've created with like a dinking wall and things of that just to work on their game, right? So it kind of runs the gamut from your more casual, like it's part of my, you know, part of my life to it's like my whole life type of member. But that's who we're servicing. The, the entertainment side of things is great. Like we love it. We've got a location opening, you know, not too far from us, maybe 30, 40 minutes from us. So we're super excited for them to open because we think they're going to do really well. And that's the top of our funnel, right? Like a lot of people and the, there's some stat, you may have seen it on, I don't know the exact, it's like 30% of new golfers in the last five years uh, swung their first club at Top Golf, right? So for us, it's like the top of our funnel. You're kind of skeptical about pickleball. It's, it has a silly name and it seems like only old people play it. And then your buddy invites you because you're going to go have some beers and like play a little pickleball. So you go out for the social event. You find out, hey, it was, that was actually pretty fun. I enjoyed it. Like, are you going to go back to the bar and restaurant on Monday to look for a game? Probably not, right? So like, where are you going to go? There has to be a place, a community right? That's welcoming that, you know, you can go to and like meet some people and jump in a pickleball game without also buying wings and nachos. Right. So, so that's where we go. So we love the entertainment. We think it's amazing. We think we support each other, right? Because our members are still going to want to go and have that social aspect. And, and we provide a social aspect too, but like the food and bev aspect in addition, we think there's like a really harmonious relationship there with the entertainment. I completely agree. That's uh, a really interesting top golf stat, but that is why, I mean, because I did get pitched at one point before, you know, you mentioned that, hey, like I'm going all in on on this pickleball idea. You know, some, it was basically like a, a top golf equivalent, but pickleball. And yeah, just the build out was so expensive. I think it was like $10 million or something like that. Whereas your guys I know are a lot lower. Like I think 10% of that just like seemed like that was where the market was headed. And, and like, I am definitely, I can see the demand for, for that, right? Because like I'm hooked on pickleball. Like I want to, get better and play regularly in New York City might be a little tougher but you know ideally find a spot where I can play a couple times a week because it's just fun too and like it's a good enough workout where like I can instead of like going for a run I can play pickleball for two hours and like I feel great and it's a lot more fun than running so yeah I just feel like it, it's yeah. a really awesome yeah it's a great thing don't, don't think I'm gonna let you off the hook from uh, your stance a couple of years ago when we first talked about it, buddy. Now you're gung-ho on it. At that time, you're like, are you nuts? Pickleball? What are you even talking about? Did I about, say right? that? Um, I don't even but, remember. Oh, oh, from day one. I remember I was in a in Uber going across the Brooklyn Bridge. I like remember this conversation because I was so hyped to tell you no. about it. And then you like basically oh, yeah, like, popped it? my balloon. I'm like, oh, man. No, Dang. but it was good, though. I mean, you challenged my thinking on huh. it quite a bit, which was good at that stage. But no, you got on board well, obviously very quickly. Yeah. We raised money pretty soon after and you you were on board because you hadn't studied it yet, right? Yeah. But now like then you studied it and then you got bullish on it and now you're kind of at this phase now where you actually want to play, right? You're an NCAA athlete, you played soccer, like now you're like sort of I, I think after some resistance to write pickleball and joining this old person sport, right? <laughs> Quote unquote. You've now sort of come around to like, I want to get better, right? Like so you've had this evolution, which I think a lot of people are in some phase of that evolution right now. Yeah, absolutely. And like, once I did look into it, it's funny. I actually, I do not remember that conversation, but I pride myself on being more open-minded, but I guess, you know, maybe I failed. You were, you were supportive. <laughs> you were supportive. You just, you, you challenged me the right way. Yeah. I was giving you all right, time. All right. Yeah. But yeah, like uh, I remember when I re looked into it, the average age, I think in like 2022, CNBC or someone did a big like 
report on pickleball and like the average age who played dropped to like 38 or something so that was eye-opening because you know i did think it was you know just an older person sport and they were like yeah it's trending it's trending lower and lower yeah that age just dropped again i can't i think it dropped like i don't know low 30s or something maybe even high 20s i don't know the exact stat but play a which i can't remember what the acronym stands for i think it's sports foundation something or other did a study alongside Pickleheads, which is like a VC-backed, one of our tech partners out there connects people that want to play pickleball together. And they did a study together that showed that the the fastest growing age group was actually the 20-something age group by far. And then like followed by youth, like those are the fastest growing. The average age had, had moved down significantly. I Again, I can't remember if it was like late 20s or early 30s, something like that. But they also, in that, they did a basically a supply and demand study and they're projecting that over 25,000 pickleball courts need to be built in order to catch up with the demand with basically almost a a billion dollars invested right into it in order to catch up with the growth curve. So, you know, we, we're only going to be a fraction of that, right? And a lot of those are going to be outdoors, et cetera, right? They're not going to be indoor. A lot of those are going to be publicly funded and, you know, be in community parks and things. Although that could be going by the wayside too, due to, uh, noise complaints and disruptions yeah. there's been cities that have shut down pickleball altogether due to the noise pollution so you know who knows where that's going but yeah all of that to say your the trajectory right the growth going forward like all signs point to this thing is we're at the tip of the iceberg i think even just when i was evaluating the investment too right i did like ask around kind of even google just pickleball courts and like you know the, the reality is the weather is, is actually a major factor <laughs> like the fact that it's an indoor pickleball facility that matters a lot right uh you know i just moved out of out of austin recently way too hot in the summer no shot you're playing pickleball even at 6 a.m it's like 100 degrees there it's miserable in the summer so an indoor air conditioned facility is a major deal and now back in the northeast right the winter like if it's snowing or you know it's been rainy for like four days straight like very rainy I haven't been able to play pickleball. Yeah. And then even like on the facility side, like there's the thing at the tennis club that I was playing at when I got my butt kicked, right? Like it was a tennis club. It wasn't a pickleball facility. So like they kind of like, it wasn't bad, but there was honestly a lot of scenarios where we had to pause play because one of the other courts, like they're right stacked up on each other. The balls are like flowing into your court and it does like actually impact the quality. Again, it was a rainy day. So like, yeah, best case we could have done, but yeah. I mean, look, just weather aside, you just pointed something out, like not all pickleball courts are created equal, right? Like the playing conditions are very poor in some cases, right? Meaning like you have, you know, temporary courts, temporary lines, you know, sort of painted over tennis lines or in a basketball, like even if it's indoor in a basketball gym, not the right surfaces, no cushioning, right? That's one thing we get a lot of compliments are, you know, for our cushion system that's underneath, especially for your older crowd. And even me, you know, approaching 40 here very quickly, like my knees and back, you know, after playing on an outdoor court versus our indoor surfaces, like I can play a lot more games without getting sore. So you optimal lighting, right? It's really yeah. just, it, we're creating optimal playing conditions. So for somebody like you that you just pointed out, like you may not necessarily, you may be skeptical of like, why do I need to go indoors and pay money when I can go, you know, to an outdoor court? But then you're going to have a, there's going to be a day that comes that you want to play that the outdoor conditions don't. So weather will drive you in, right? But once you experience what we're offering, and I do want to make a distinction here because I think 
you know, and this is okay at this state in the growth of the industry, but most of the players out there are offering access, right? Like it's just, here's a place to come play pickleball. Like what we're offering is an experience, right? And by that, just as an example, you know, the first few weeks that we were open, all of the compliments coming our way were about the facility, the courts. This is amazing. We love it here. Like it's now shifted. It's all of the compliments we get are now about the staff right? About our team members. Like, so they're so nice. They have the best team members. They're so helpful. Like we're creating an experience. We've glow in the dark lighting that we, you know, we just rolled out for our grand opening last week. When the lights went down, that place erupted with like screams and joy and excitement, right? Super, super cool. And so anyways, we're delivering like this experience. We're really raising the bar. And you know, that's a big reason why you come back to Hayes Pickleball Club, right? Versus going back to the outdoor courts, even if it's 74 and sunny. And Atlanta had really nice weather. I was just down there for a week. It was beautiful the whole time. It was like 64 to 76, like the whole time I was there. We had no slowdowns in terms of our like usage. We uh, had a, a big membership sales week that week, even though the weather was super nice outside. So I think... Weather may drive people in initially, like some of the skeptics, but it's the experience that's going to keep people coming back. And then one last point. Sorry, I know this is a diatribe, but two last points. So reliability and consistency, right? Like, why do people run on the treadmill in Santa Monica, California? They're right next to the beach. There's a beautiful path to run on. The weather's amazing. If you go into the 24-hour fitness there, you will wait for a treadmill. Like, why is that, right? It's about routine. It's about consistency. It's about going back to the same place, finding parking, making your life easy and convenient. Right now, a lot of people are traveling, having to travel around to multiple outdoor courts. Even though it's free, they're heading to you know the Wolf Courts, and they're seeing that it's too busy, and now they're driving 10 minutes over to you know the other parks courts, and they're seeing like, oh, maybe I can get a game in here. Maybe they're popping to a third park before they can go. It's not reliable. It's not consistent, right? And weather plays into that too, right? In terms of like, if your workout days are Tuesday and Thursday mornings, and it happens to be raining that week, you don't get your workout in, right? If, if you're just playing outdoors, but indoors, right? It's reliable. It's consistent. You know, you can count on it. And the other piece is community. Yeah. Right. So there's a barrier to entry here. And we've been actually very pleasantly surprised by the number of brand new players that have come in and joined as members. We didn't really expect that. We thought it's really going to be the people that are already playing, right? And want this better experience. A lot of brand new players because in order for them to go get in a game by themselves, like without us there, they have to show up to a park and basically like you're a kid on the playground be like, hey, can I play with you? Like that is a tough thing for most adults. For me, like I just wouldn't do it, right? And like, so you're curious about pickleball, but like if you don't have a friend that takes you by the hand, like your brother maybe and says, let's go play, right? Then, and I'll show you the ropes and you can use my paddle and all that stuff. Then you're sort of like on the outside looking in. We offer pickleball 101 classes for free and we say, look, Come on in. We'll give you a paddle. We give you a ball. We give you an instructor. It's free. Part of our mission is to grow the game, yeah. to grow the sport, right? And organically, that that will help us, right? Benefit us long run. But that is part of the mission is to grow this game, get more people involved, get more active. That's why we do it for free. But the conversions on those, we've been shocked by, right? Yep. Because they're coming in. They're having a great time. It's their first time. Now they feel like they're part of this community. Everyone's warm and welcoming. So anyways, that's uh, all stuff there. That's uh, fascinating, honestly, to hear. And it's awesome to hear that that it is working and that you guys are growing the game already. 
Because yeah, yeah, there's a lot of factors. And it's, uh, I mean, it's nice from like, if I was a franchisee, it's almost like, hey, bad weather coming in. Maybe you could, you might even see trends over time that drives more customers. But I do think the community aspect's also great, probably because, right, I will now, now that I'm really hooked on Pickleball, like when I talk to my friends who maybe aren't yet and are still like skeptical, I'm going to be like, oh no, like it's a ton of fun. Like you should play it. And I feel like the organic growth from the sport is just going to benefit franchisees as well. Like a final question here, because I think, this is probably the biggest question mark for folks maybe listening to this is obviously there's a ton of hype around the sport and there has been, right? Especially with, you just see all the headlines and I almost think it was in a way, maybe not great timing and that a lot of crazy stuff in the cryptocurrency world was going downhill where that was like also a very hyped up space. But there'd be a camp of people who are just like, they think it's a bubble, right? So for folks who haven't caught on, like Joe and I used to work together you had a ton of opportunity for you at your previous position, but you decided to give all that up, right? To go all in on a pickleball franchise. So like basically, and I have my own answer that I'll share after, but what makes you think it isn't all hype? And like, or a different way of asking is like, why do you think that it has staying power? Yeah. So man, they can't all be softballs, I guess, can they? <laughs> nope. Had to hit you eventually, man. <laughs> <laughs> so real quick, and I know we're, we're on limited time here, yeah. but- the bookends of the the demographic is the most important thing to hit here. So my mom, who's almost 70, she has now been playing like before it was cool for the last four or five years, you know, and, you know, multiple times a week, she's got like basically an, an injured knee that, you know, is having trouble recovering. And so she, you know, she's a hard time even like walking long distances, but she plays like two, three, four days a week because she loves it that much. But the coolest part about that for me was I came home for Christmas one year and she started talking about all these people that I'd never heard of. Now, meanwhile, my mom's had the same, you know, four friends for my entire life, right? Like the last almost 40 years, like she gets together with them for lunch. I know them all. Now she's talking about all these new people. And I'm like, who are these people? She's like, oh, they're my friends from Pickleball. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool, yeah, right? Yeah. Like you, you, you're making new friends in your 60s. Like, you know, I'm in late 30s. I haven't made a new friend in quite a long time, <laughs> right? Like you sort of have your friends and then that's it, Yeah, right? yeah. So I thought that was really cool. And just seeing her being active and like being healthy and like making friends, like I just, I love that piece. Because that was when I like first just sort of like initially fell in love. It's the other end of it that is the most exciting thing for me. And initially watching my mom play with my nieces and nephews and now with my four-year-old, like super cool, it's multi-generational, they can all get out on the same court. But you know, the last US Open had like an eight and nine-year-old division. That was full. Yeah. A tournament, right? Yeah. For eight and nine year olds. You've got high school programs rolling out across the country, some sanctioned, some not. You've got a lot of club, I think it's almost 60 universities that have like club teams now. They're even organizing like outside of like university stuff and just a couple of the, uh, you know, Georgia schools, I forget which ones, got together at East Pickleball Club and even had their own like little match and, and oh, tournament, that's cool. which is really cool. But it is going to be, and I'll say this very confidently, it will be an NCAA-sanctioned scholarship sport. I will say very confidently within the next three years, I think it's going to happen sooner than that. One of the nice pieces here that's very unique is that mixed doubles is a thing. People love watching the mixed doubles. Meaning like male, female? Yep. It would be the only NCAA sport that has that. That's cool. Everything else is men's, 
or women. So like you think about like our country and you know where we're at right now, like I think we're going to get behind that, right? I think it's going to be cool. People are going to love it. It's going to be really exciting. So you have this youth movement happening with more and more kids getting into the game. And that's just, it's a game you can play your entire life as is proving out. We had a, um, I think he's almost 80 years old, win a tournament at Ace Pickleball Club three (laughs) weeks ago, right? Sergio, I think his name is. So damn, he hadn't won a tournament. I I don't know how long, 50 years, (laughs) right? Like in anything, right? So like very, very cool, right? That you could literally start at age five and play until you're 85, right? Yeah. And so that's why I think it has the staying power. It brings people together. It's social. It's super fun. It's aspirational. Yeah, I, I think it's here to stay. And then just uh, on the business side, you got a lot of money pouring in. Yeah. So you know, from a lot of smart people. My answer to that own question was similar. Obviously, you provide a lot more data than I ever would have been able to give, but Right. That um, I don't think anyone's skeptical of the fact that like, okay, yes, older people, like they have fun playing it. I think, you know, you covered like people in their 20s, like that's growing a lot. And then the the youth movement even, and then the NCAA sports sanctioning that's very likely to come. Those are all really compelling because then you kind of bridge the gap of every age group right there. And, you know, my general response is just going to be, which you obviously touched on, is like, it's such a unique sport, right? That People of all shapes and sizes, right? Like you don't have to be in great shape to compete at a high level. Not to say that it's in better shape, but like just you were a division one volleyball player. I was a division one soccer player. I'm not even 30 yet. And like, I can't step on the field uh, with, you know, uh, college players right now in soccer. I would get destroyed. Like, it's just so hard to keep that level of fitness up. But pickleball, the reason I'm getting so obsessed with it is because A, there's strategy and doubles that is very fun to work through. And then also it's a way to compete at potentially like a a higher level again and you just yeah like the barrier isn't as high to be able to do that and that's what makes it fun and like you said right like because of that you can play until you're a lot older than you know 99 percent of sports so i think it's going to be here for a long long time i think we are just getting going so it's cool to see too that's like the position you guys have really kind of put your stake in the ground and just said like hey like we are the place where you play pickleball a year ago that was like potentially a risky bet in some people's eyes, but I feel like it's already starting to show because a lot of the scenarios you, you've mentioned, like I've experienced them firsthand driving to one park where we like to play, but then if it's booked by, or like it's just filled. And then we go to a tennis court that's like got the pickleball lines drawn on it. And that's not as fun to play on because it's not like actually the right sizes. So I really think, uh, you know, you guys are, are on to building something pretty amazing. And hopefully also just for the sport in general, I think it's going to be a really, really big net positive. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. I I agree. Yeah, man. Look, this has been super fun just to honestly talk pickleball, catch up on some stuff. You know, if folks want to learn more about you and your franchising experience and or learn about Ace Pickleball Club, uh, what are the best spots online to do that? Yeah, man. Thank you for for having me on. It's always super fun to just shoot the shit with you. And I appreciate the the opportunity to talk specifically about Ace and, and pickleball. AcePickleballClub.com and then our Instagram handle at AcePickleballClub. Those are probably the two best spots. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, etc. We're around. We'll plug those in the show notes, folks, so you can check out Ace and keep an eye on on their growth. But uh, yeah, man, thanks for coming on and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, 
Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. <laughs>